James Barkley, the Jaguar TCS Racing Team Principal and Managing Director of JLR Motorsport, joins us on this episode of What's Next. Now, those of you who don't know James, James has been uh, the Team Director for Jaguar's Formula E program. Uh, he was appointed all the way back in 2015. It's been a fantastic sport. I've been to watch uh, a race and I've been following it very closely. And he's responsible for managing the the return. He's managed it for the last few years. But uh, it's been an exciting ABB FIA Formula E World Championship for this British brand. And over the last eight years, James has overseen this incredible growth of Jaguar TCS racing into a race winning team. Uh, from the team's first Formula One team, uh, Formula One uh, season that was 2019, if I'm not mistaken, James. Um, and then, of course, uh, one to finish in the 2023 ABB uh, Formula E World Championship. And it's been an amazing, amazing season. And you guys have done incredibly, incredibly well. And well done to you and your team, James. It's it's fantastic to see you again. How are you doing? Well, firstly, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's a real privilege and nice to speak to you again. And yeah, it's been uh, it's been a been a great year. Um, it feels like just yesterday we did the last race in London, um, but already motor racing being what it is, our our gaze, our focus is already moving on to next season. So we've all had a chance to have a bit of a recharge, but we're straight back into preparing for next season. You know, James, I want to ask you, what is it about Formula E that makes it so exciting? I was trying to put my finger on it because I attended my first Formula E race in Cape Town. Um, and it was just great to be in the pits and be with the, 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 the Jaguar team. It was really exciting. I've been to a Formula One race as well. But, you know, the difference essentially is in an electric vehicle and, uh, and, and, and a fuel-driven vehicle. The vehicles basically almost look identical. But for me, I find Formula E more exciting. I don't know what it is, if it's the technology, if it's the, the acceleration. What is it for you that that is very different about Formula E versus traditional Formula One that makes it so exciting? Yeah, well, I think, f firstly, very kind of you to say, um, yeah, we are massively passionate about Formula E. Um, we're a true world championship. You have the pinnacle of combustion engine racing, which is Formula One, and have, you have the pinnacle of electric racing, and that's Formula E. And there's a, there's a number of things that I see it that make it super exciting. For a start, you have the most efficient, the most high-performance electric vehicles in the world in terms of what these cars are capable of. They have incredible cutting-edge technology inside them. Uh, we go incredibly quickly on street tracks in the harder city centers, in locations where normally there's never a motor race. And Cape Town was a perfect example. Um, growing up in South Africa, the dream to see a motor race in seafront, well, we did it. And that we've done it with formerly all over the world. It's Hong Kong, um, whether it's New York. Um, whether it's in London, we, we've brought this incredible world championship to the streets um, of the biggest city centers in the world um, and directly to the fans, which is super exciting. No, absolutely. Um, and, it also represents a, and it also represents the future. For me, I think at last point, really important, someone who loves this sport, um, formally absolutely represents the future because as we slowly shift towards battery electric vehicles being the majority of cars on the road that, that are available for sale, and as you know, regulation in some countries drive that, so our sport needs to evolve and change to be ready for that future. So we also represent the future, safeguarding the future of our sport, but also pioneering and showing that we can evolve this technology, we can create amazing racing, mm. uh, and we can write this amazing chapter, of, next chapter of motorsport. Well, I mean, let's talk about this, and let's talk about Jaguar's involvement. Why is it so important for Jaguar to be represented in racing championships where EV technologies are, are used? And, and I guess that, uh, you know, you're doing a lot of pioneering stuff, but why, why is Jaguar involved in this racing championship? 
Yeah, well, a few key reasons, Aki. And, and fundamentally, if I wind the clock back, we came back with motor racing in 2016. And at that point in time, we we're about to launch our, our first ever all-electric car, the Jaguar I-Pace. That car went on to be successfully launched and won many accolades. And the racing program was a way of showcasing to the world that we were starting to make electric vehicles. And as we sit here in 2023, it's more relevant than ever before, because in 2025, Jaguar becomes reimagined as an all-electric model luxury car company. So from 2025, all Jaguars will be all-electric. Um, and so this race program for us, as motor racing has always played a role for Jaguar, is a real-world testbed for electric vehicle technology. It allows us to push and prove and develop and innovate this technology to bring it to our future consumers. But also we're on a global stage to, to promote and uh, communicate the benefits of battery electric vehicles. So it works for us on a number of levels. Um, and then you know, I can kind of keep going. There's so many other aspects that are relevant to us. You know, not only are we pushing performance innovation, but we're also driving sustainability innovation. And that is that helps us as a total car company as JLR to, to achieve our goals to be net carbon zero by 2039. So it works on so many levels, but it's motor racing has always been part of Jaguar's DNA. And what we are doing now is uh, we're involved in a category which is uh, positioned and right sized for the future. Well, that's super exciting. And it's interesting, you say about 2025, that's just around the corner, that all Jaguars produced are going to be electric, which is absolutely fascinating. And, you know, for many people, if you'd said that five years ago, they said, no, no, you, you, you need to have your head red, you're smoking something. But when you look at what's happening globally, um, and the EV market is certainly maturing, and, uh, you know, by the end of this decade, it's going to be mainstream. I think the prediction is that close to most of the vehicles that will be produced will be EVs. Now, you've been the director for Jaguar's Formula E team, as I mentioned earlier, since November 2015. So it's just approaching eight years. And um, it's been interesting how the technology's evolved. I mean, you mentioned the I-Pace. It's one of my favorite, favorite electric vehicles that I've driven. I just love it. And it just, it doesn't date at all, um, despite the fact that it's a few years old already, but they really are magnificent vehicles. How significantly have EV technologies used in these cars improved over the years? Now, I remember when I spoke to you in Cape Town, I was quite uh, amazed at, uh, at the progress that's been made uh, in such a short space of time. Yeah, hugely, hugely so. And informally, because we are absolutely cutting edge of the technology, actually, we are we are really kind of pioneering, innovating with the technology. And if I just look at that time frame in Formula E, uh, and then we can look at the trickle down to road cars. But when we started racing in 2016, our first year, as you say, we found the team in 2015. Um, the powertrain then to the powertrain now, we've produced six brand new powertrains in that space of time, which basically means you know we're very rapidly evolving in motor technology, motor technology, and efficiency. Um, and to give you a bit of an uh, overview, the cars have, have gone from uh, a previous generation in generation two. We had a 52 kilowatt hour battery to do a race. We now have a 42 kilowatt hour battery. And we actually use majority races this year, 38 kilowatt hours of energy to do a 45 minute race. But we've gone from 250 kilowatts of peak power to 350 kilowatts of peak power. So we're more powerful than ever before. We're faster than ever before. Um, uh, but we are using much less uh, battery capacity to do that. Uh, in fact, 40% of the energy we use during the race comes from regen, which we have to regen back into the car, and up to 600 kilowatts. So as you probably know, fast charging on most um, infrastructure available to the public is around 350 kilowatts, which is incredibly fast charging anyway. Mm. In most people, 15 minutes of charge is plenty for the, the requirements, but we're charging 600 kilowatts while the car's moving. So that's just some areas. Yes. Um, and if we look at it, yeah, and if we look at it, so to, to answer your question, 
Um, what we are seeing across both road cars and race cars is this improvement in efficiency. Efficiency means performance. Efficiency means range. And so we're now, the range is no longer really the topic. It's more around how you extract maximum performance um, and the technology we're developing to do that. We have many great examples in the race team where we've evolved new technologies, things like silicon carbide in the inverter, which allows us to be more efficient on the switching, which basically allows the car to be more efficient. These are just one example of so many areas where we're developing the technology, which we can, which ultimately will, will and is trickling down into the future production vehicles. Well, it's extraordinary that you say that 40% of the energy is regenerated during a race, which is quite mind-blowing when you think of it. And you think of the implications that that has on you know, commercial EV vehicles in the future, uh, it's actually uh, amazing to think that uh, the efficiencies that you guys are learning about just by racing that you are going to apply to Jaguars in the future, um, that reassures me as a consumer that this EV industry uh, is really the way to go and it's it's just going to be, the, the you know, the, the future. It's, there's no doubt about it. This year is quite interesting, though, because this year marked the first season of the Gen 3 era of Formula E. What are your thoughts on the improvements that this car has offered over the ST, S, S, SRT05E uh, uh, generation? So, yeah, the Gen 2... I think the first summary is generation one of Formula was proving we could race the cars, right? We actually, at that point in time, you know, the cars were 200 kilowatts of peak power. Um, we had a, a different battery size um, and we were going slower, quite a bit slower. Generation two, we took a big step up to 250 kilowatts, a 52 kilowatt hour battery. The car started to go significantly faster. And then gen three, you know, the biggest power step, 250 to 350, um, smaller battery, as you said. Um, but not only that, these cars, the region element I talked about, these cars are, the, I believe, the most, some of the most complex racing cars in the world. Um, so this year, it has been a, a massive, I would say, uh, challenge and task for the teams to get on top of the car. Um, because I'll give you some examples. We have um, uh, four-wheel regens. We have a motor on the front axle, which allows us to regen at 600 kilowatts, as I mentioned. Basically, uh, we allow it to 250 kilowatts on the front axle, 350 kilowatts on the rear axle. Um, but we also have... Uh, brake by wire. So now you have a scenario where you have two motors, one on the front or the rear, which are doing the majority of your braking to you. You have mechanical brakes on the front axle, which are brake by wire. And actually for this year, we took off the mechanical brakes of the rear axle. So there were no mechanical brakes to use on the rear axle. So you're blending, quite a complex topic, but you're blending the motors, front and rear, to do the deceleration. And every now and then you're using the mechanical brake on the front axle, but you have no mechanical brake on the rear axle. So that's simply to give the driver confidence every time they push the brake pedal has to feel the same. Otherwise, they lose confidence. So that's performance, that's speed. That was a massive task to overcome. So that was one of the first big things to get on top of. And these are all um, uh, brake by wire. They're all can systems. They're all uh, systems talking over the air. There's a huge amount of electrical noise happening in the car. Um, so this year was incredibly complex trying to get uh, all this technology integrated different systems from working together in harmony um, that i would say is probably one of the biggest challenges that we had this year but on top of that we had a brand new tire so the car was completely new no carryover from generation two at all sure. uh, the only carrier was the fact it was an electric car but we also had a brand new tire and tires um you know um, where the rubber meets the road, as they say, that's kind of where if you don't get that bit right, then all the performance, all the efficiency of the car is lost. So getting on top of this brand new hand tile we shifted from Michelin uh, was a very different kind of almost like a, a cultural shift in the philosophy of the car, which we had to get our head around. So it's been a really challenging year. And that's why from my point of view, 
as I as I sit here at the end of the season, uh, really proud of the effort this team has done. You know, we produced an incredible car in the I-Type 6, which I think over the course of the year, the Jaguar I-Type 6 was the most competitive car in Formula E. And I think that's proved by the fact that both our customer team and ourselves finished first and second in the World Championship. And um, yeah, that's a proud moment for Jaguar Amazing. to have two teams in the top two of a true World Championship. Amazing. You know, you talk about the vehicles. Does a Formula E vehicle weigh more than a Formula One vehicle? I imagine it would, you know, with the, the, the weight of the battery and the weight ratios. I mean, you mentioned the tyres and that they're pretty similar. Um, I'm trying to think of the weight ratios and how that uh, brings its own challenges right. to racing Formula E's. Yeah, well, historically, actually, we have been, but this new car, the Generation Three car, is actually lighter than a Formula One. Wow! Car. So we're uh, we're around a we're around a hundred kilograms lighter than a Formula One car, full of fuel. So um, that's pretty incredible. So the kind of misnomer that EVs have to be heavier than ICE, ICE vehicles is not true. Um, and this year, we proved that with the Gen Three car. So uh, yeah, we're we're around eight hundred and sixty kilograms. A Formula One car, full of fuel, is um, getting up towards eight eight fifty around that mark. So. Yeah, it's um, it's it's really impressive. This technology of the car, we've pushed the limits to get this car nice and lightweight. The componentry uh, is incredibly high tech and exotic in areas, um, but it shows it's possible. And um, yeah, these cars push a lot of boundaries. This was a really big technical project to get this car to, as you said, to the weight, to the performance, uh, and to the battery size we've got, uh, and to do a forty-five minute race. And in places like Portland, we're doing one hundred and eighty miles an hour. So. Um, they're definitely not slow. Gee, that's yeah. interesting. Look, uh, interesting that you mentioned that Jaguar is going to be uh, producing electric-only vehicles from 2025. Um, and this obviously dovetails uh, the, the Jaguar E, the Jaguar Formula E team, basically dovetails and aligns with Jaguar's goals when it comes to sustainability. Uh, talk to us about the sustainability and how does your team dovetail with what's happening at Jaguar that they say they will produce electric vehicles by 2025? Yeah, well, firstly, Formula E as a whole sport is uh, really kind of pushing the boundaries of, of um, doing sport in a more sustainable way. Um, everything about how we run the championship. I mean, you talked about the tyre there, just very quickly talking about that. We have one tyre for all conditions in Formula E. So we don't have a slick tyre, oh. an intermediate tyre, a wet tyre. We have, we have one tyre for all conditions. So we use a lot less tyres in traditional racing categories. That's the first point. Um, but everything we do in the team operation, we have to also meet strict criteria from the FIA to achieve environmental accreditation. So there's a base requirement as a sport because, we, yes, we're proving electric vehicles. We're showing racing in a more sustainable way. But the whole uh, way the sport goes about its work also is, is driven in a more sustainable way. For example, we, only have a, we also have a limit of 30 personnel technical personnel to run a Formula E car. These cars are as complex as a Formula 1 car and there are over 70 personnel. So it gives you a context of everything we do in the sport is regulated but also allows us to be more sustainable. Now, that's the sporting elements. If I kind of give you a context of the race to road side, um, as much as we're pushing and showcasing the technology um, from a performance and efficiency point of view, and by the way, every time we make our Formula E cars more efficient, that is sustainable. Why? Because it means we're going further with, with less, with the same amount, right? So in essence, we're becoming more efficient with the available energy we have, which means we're pulling less off the grid. If you can go, if you can go you know, 30, 40 miles longer on an EV, it means you're charging less over the course of a year. It means you're pulling less energy off the grid. So again, everything driven around performance in Formula E is, sustain is sustainability with that efficiency topic. And that's maybe a very quick topic to explain. We have a power limit in Formula E, 350 kilowatts. So that basically means that we um, we have uh, we can't produce a car which is more powerful. What we can do is produce a car which is more efficient. 
Uh, and so if you can make the car more efficient, it means you've got a uh, capacity of battery over your competitors, which means you can go faster for longer. Ah. So that's where your performance difference comes. And that is a direct tr- correlation to our future road cars. That is, again, that's a sustainability point because it's been more efficient with the available resource you've got. So that's the first point. But there's been some great examples as a race team this year that we've pioneered with. One which we announced earlier this year was our work with Castrol, where we've worked with them to produce the first uh, re-refined base oil for our lubricants we use in the car. So in specifically in this case, our gearbox lubricant, we used a, a, an oil, a lubricant with Castrol. We found a way with them to make that uh, lubricant more performance focused, which we've done. And then we said, right, next challenge is let's make this, uh, how can we recycle this lubricant? And we've worked with Castrol to re-refine the base oil, taking oil we've used in testing. And in Monaco this year, for the first time, we used that re-refined base oil in Monaco and showed uh, it met the performance criteria Mm. as a re-refined base oil. So that's something we're looking to take forward as a team. But what an incredible story. The first ever race team, the first ever car company to re-refine base oil, basically take oil we've used previously, rather than throw it away, we've taken it, we recycled it, and we've reused it, and it's achieved that performance characteristic. So what is the relevance of that? Well, if we can take that technology and apply it to our future road cars, that helps us achieve uh, circularity to be net carbon zero. And JLR's mm. objective is to be net carbon zero by 2039. And you hear this topic, a lot of companies saying that aiming to be net carbon zero. That means being circular. And that means recycling, reusing the materials that we use. And that's a great example of, yes, we're here to go and win motor races to be world champions, but we're also doing it in a way to pioneer, to push ourselves, to try and do things not only at performance level, but also achieve it at a sustainable point. So a really cool, for me, one of, I think, proudest things I can say, that's genuine innovation for a more sustainable future. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's quite impressive. And, uh, you know, be, having been on the pits and, and watching your team operate, I was amazed at, at um, how they, they, they're monitoring everything in real time. And you've got these tons of computers in the back and that all goes into the cloud and you've got another team in, in the UK that's monitoring um, conditions as they happen. They're monitoring the engine. They're monitoring the efficiencies. And every race you, 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 you do, you're learning something new about the car, about EV, about how the technology work works. And if you look at the examples that we talk about, the sustainability and taking what you're learning and applying it to commercial vehicles, um, if we can unpack some examples on, that you can share on how Jaguar TCS research and insights have been used to develop the brand's electric road cars. You touched on it earlier and you said that you are learning a lot of new things. And I'm wondering if even something like a 40% regeneration of power is possible for the future commercial electric vehicle. Is that something that you're looking at from a, a, a future point of view that you can deploy, you can enforce, you can add to a commercial electric vehicle? Well, of course, um, the topic of region is absolutely relevant to production electric vehicles. And that, that is something which is on now and will continue to be on in a more efficient way in the future. So absolutely. But probably the most example, tangible example to give you is the topic of silicon carbide. So um, it's quite a complex topic, but in, in summary, an electric motor is, uh, is, uh, allows you to drive, and it's, we call them a motor generator unit. So it creates drive, pushes a car forward, but also when you aren't pushing forward, you, it turns into a generator. That's when it's regenning, basically. And during that process, it then turns into a, a generator. So it's a motor and it's a generator. Um, and what, what enables that is also the inverter. So it allows you to switch from AC to DC to enable that drive and that region. Basic kind of common knowledge on, on electric motors. So that's kind of what we do. Now, Silicon carbide is a switch, allows faster switching speed between AC and DC. 
Um, and previously, we just used normal, um, you'd, you'd use normal kind of semiconductor and normal silicone uh, switch for that. Mm. But using silicon carbide allows you to do that faster and more efficiently. And it's a very, it's a special crystal mineral basically that's produced in, in, in a controlled environment. You create um, modules uh, in which the silicon carbide is contained, and it allows that big change of power uh, between AC and DC in a really efficient way. So we started using this new technology back in 2017. We were on the first teams to use that technology in Formula E. We saw the step change it gave us, becoming improving efficiency on the powertrain. Um, and then five years later, in fact, last year, we announced that all future Jaguar and Land Rover vehicles, so JLR vehicles from uh, all our nameplates, will use silicon carbide technology going forward. So that's a perfect example of a material we pioneered, we used. Uh, yes, it was actually used in other industries that we think we thought had a relevance here in, in Formula E. Um, and it was on the radar at our research and engineering teams for our future products at that point already, but there was no real proof point of it. So we almost were the test bed for that technology, showcasing its capability and its benefits. And the fact that now that technology would be on all future JLR vehicles just gives you a good context mm. of, uh, for me, a great example of race to road. So something which was proven on the racetrack in the heat of competition where I always say you have to turn over every stone and it's like you're doing a 100, 100 meter final in, in Olympics. You know, everyone is world class. They've trained incredibly hard. What makes a difference to win that race is the detail, right? It's the small detail um, that allows you to be better. And that's a great detail item which allowed us to improve our performance, fight for race wins and fight for championships. Uh, and now it's something which is on our, all our future road cars. So a really great example for me. Amazing stuff. Um, James, how, how do you envision EV racing growing in popularity in the years to come? Uh, I, I as, a, as a consumer and a, and, and, um, and a fan of the, of the sport, have been seeing its evolution over the last few years, and I imagine that it's just going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. From your perspective, where do you see it? And, and I guess you also have access to the numbers and how many people watch it, how many people come out, and, and, and how many cities are growing uh, where, the, where, where the, the circuit is going to. Uh, so where do you see the popularity of EV growing in the years to come? Yeah, so really good question, Aki. And realistically, we are the pinnacle of, of, of the sport, right? So um, uh, what we are seeing is an absolute growth in the interest in Formula E, which is fantastic. Um, we're seeing that, you know, it's the other than Formula One, which is clearly the biggest by its age and nature, right? Uh, but we're, you know, already the second largest four-wheel motorsport in the world, which is fantastic. Um, so growing incredibly rapidly in terms of fandom. We're racing in all new cities. We race in five continents now. We keep on adding to the calendar. Next year, we add Tokyo to the calendar, which is incredibly exciting to be having a, a race in the heart of Tokyo. So we absolutely see Formula is continuing to grow. Um, what we also know is that as the world transitions to more electric vehicles, as people buy more EVs, in many cases also driven by legislation. In some countries, we can't sell an ICE engine car beyond 2030. So um, we will see a, a greater proliferation of EVs in the world. When that happens, Formula E becomes the most relevant form of racing as well in terms of the majority of cars that people drive. So they want to learn about technology. They want to understand it. And Formula E is also a platform to do that. So we see Formula E growing in relevance. But then across the sports as well, you know, we do see a transition happening. Formula E was the pioneer in this regard, but already you see more hybridization in, in, in current racing in ice engine categories. And you are starting to see other categories, things like Extreme E, the off-road mm. championship for, uh, for, uh, for, for electric off-road vehicles. That's been, been launched. You see the electric world rallycross coming to life. So you see other categories starting to, to, to form. Uh, and what, what I would expect to see is a, is a gradual transition. Um, but like everything, it's, um, it's a broad church, and we will see a combination of 
uh, ice racing for a long time to come. Um, but particularly at the manufacturer level, where we're proving technologies, we're showcasing this technology, its relevance is, I would say, becoming more and more uh, appropriate and applicable for manufacturers. So at a manufacturer level, I see a greater proliferation of EV racing, mm. either in greater hybridization or full electric. Um, so yeah, we do see it. We see it as a, as a transition over time. And uh, uh, actually, the whole infrastructure has to change. And I'm actually here at Silverstone today and racetracks like here will have to evolve they have to improve charging capabilities but it's a gradual transition but formally is a proof point that the world can change the sport can change and evolve and we do see a, a, a great amount of electric categories coming in um in, in combination in transition uh, this is not a not a, a light switch right it will take time and it's evolving and um yeah it's important it's done, done in a structured way so the future is exciting um and and what what i would say is that we are just demonstrating and, and, like I said, protecting the future of the sport. In, in many countries, noise pollution is a topic. A lot of circuits around the world, they have limited on number of days they can operate because of noise restrictions. The great thing with EVs, that will improve that as well and make our sport more viable for the future as well, which is important. Okay, fantastic. I was going to ask you where you are because I see you're outdoors somewhere. And it's pretty cool that you're at Silverstone as we speak right now. And I can hear an odd car racing past you in the background as you're talking. Um, James, talking about the future, I see um, just uh, recently, I think earlier this month, you guys announced that Nick Cassidy will join Mitch Evans for the 2024 Formula E season for Team Jaguar. What are your goals and expectations? What are your, um, obviously you want to win the next season, but what expectations do you have? Yeah, I think, Firstly, we're really, really proud to to have Nick join us uh, the team and, and come to the team alongside Mitch. Um, yeah, he's an incredibly talented driver, and I think with Mitch and Nick, we have you know, arguably one of the strongest driver lineups in Formula E. You know, both the drivers in the top three of the championship this year. So, you know, from my point of view, for all the team, we're hugely motivated to 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 get started with that amazing driver lineup. Um, and uh, yeah, um, that's something which motivates everyone. So, really, really proud and excited for that. Um, as ever, yeah, we're always really pragmatic, Aki. Um, you know, we've built this team into a, a group now, which um, for the last three years has fought for world championships every single year. Whether it's a team with a driver's world championship, we've been in the position coming into the last race of each season in a position to win either one of those championships. So um, we're not arrogant by a long way, um, and we definitely do not take our competition for granted. So our job is to go, come out next season to fight for podiums, to fight for wins. That's what we'll be aiming for. Um, if that puts us in a position to fight for a championship in the end, then then that's fantastic. But yeah, we don't underestimate the, 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 how how strong the competition is. But in the Jaguar I Type Six, which has one more year because we have a two-year homologation, so we race this car for two years, we have a very competitive base car. Um, and yeah, our job is to extract the most out of that now and and put ourselves in a position for points, for podiums, for wins, uh, and hopefully that puts us in a position to fight for the championship. Oh. But we're looking forward to it. Um, we love racing in this World Championship. We have. Arguably the best driver lineup in the world in Formula E across all the teams, some of the biggest car companies, um, and some of the best racing teams. So, uh, yeah, we love the challenge. When you win in Formula E, it means a lot. Well, listen, I wanted to ask you because when I did interview you in Cape Town, I noticed you were, I think you're actually taller than me. Um, and being the bossman and the managing director of, of uh, Team Jaguar, I wanted to ask you if you've ever been inside one of those vehicles. I mean, I'm sure you've sat inside, but have you had a chance to actually drive one? Because the space seems to be quite confined in there. And I wanted to ask you, what were your thoughts on driving a vehicle? I'm pretty sure you've driven one, albeit a little bit uncomfortably around a track. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't because 
you know, our, our time and our, our testing mileage is so precious in Formula E. We have a testing limit. So I haven't had the, 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 the benefit of driving one, hour, one of our Formula E cars yet, but maybe something in the future. Today, I'm actually uh, uh, out experiencing a little bit of our past in a Jaguar lightweight E-type. So, um, yeah, I get to enjoy some of the, the past today. Uh, um, awesome. But, yeah, I, I like you. I'm a bit too tall. I'm a bit too. I'm probably carrying a bit too much timber these days to jump into a, into, a, into an 860 kilogram Formula E car. Oh gosh, um, and and then and fin- def- and, and definitely lacking in talent. Yeah, definitely lacking in the talent area as well. Oh, Finn. and James, listen. Before you go, you mentioned your South African connections. You're originally from South Africa. Which part of South Africa did you grow up in? And um, and what do you miss about South Africa? Yes, yeah, so I was fortunate. I kind of uh, I, I was born in Johannesburg and lived in Kyle Army actually for the early part of my life. Um, ironically, that's kind of where my love of racing actually started. Uh, living literally just a stone's throw from the circuit. Uh, then moved to Pretoria and I went to, to high school at Pretoria Boys High. And then um, we always had a, a fortune to have a holiday home in Cape Town, so spent a lot of time there. So yeah, I I, I love it all. Um, I really, you know, Cape Town is probably my favorite city in the world. Still is. Um, it has everything, you know, it has the ocean, it has the mountains and it has incredible food and wine and wonderful people. So, you know, it ticks every box. It really does. And that's probably what I, what, what I miss actually the most is um, just that combination of lifestyle that people living in the Cape are really fortunate to enjoy. I think it's a, it's a very rare combination. And most importantly, the people are genuinely being that, um, you know, just really wonderful, wonderful people in South Africa, uh, such a diverse nation. And, um, with so much to offer and so many genuinely great people. So yeah, I'm, uh, that's something I, I do miss, but I'm fortunate to be able to go back from time to time. Um, and yeah, I'm really hoping that we return to Cape Town next season. We've got our fingers crossed and um, we can't wait to, to get back to the Cape yeah. and to, to give it our best shot again in yeah. front of everyone. There. No, that's awesome. Listen, I really hope Formula E comes back to Cape Town. It was such an awesome race. James Barkley, the Jaguar TCS Racing Team Principal and Managing Director of JLR Motorsport, uh, coming to us live from Silverstone in the United Kingdom, talking us, uh, to us about the Jaguar TCS Racing Team. And if you've ever had a chance to watch, and if you haven't had a chance to watch Formula E, do yourself a favor. It's one of the most exhilarating sports. It's absolutely brilliant. The technology behind it is absolutely amazing. So I'm a big fan and uh, and, and get to watch it. The, the, the races are absolutely fantastic. James, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks everyone.